Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I am really excited to have this guest on today. Um, we were linked up through my good friends from School Sucks podcast, Brett Finot and Nathan Frazier. And him and I had talked about collaborating, and then he sent me a message um, later on, inviting me on his show. And ha- went on his show, had a blast, and wanted to have this gentleman on. This guy has his own show. It is the anarcho yakitism how do you say it it's anarcho yakism anarcho yakitalism like capitalism but with yak instead of cap anarcho yakitalism podcast <laughs> he is a yak farmer full time and he also has some pigs and everything else we're getting into that and the cool thing is is that he's only 17 years old so and pretty soon i mean what's cool now nick oh Mr. Nick Hazelton. And mm-hmm. what's cool now, Nick, is that you should really rock that. Yeah, man, I'm only 17. Like, fuck, dude. I'm not even adult yet, technically, legally. So um, anyways, man, I think it's super cool. We had a great conversation. And when we were talking, neither of us really had listened to each other's shows. And we were like, yeah, let's just talk. And with this great conversation at the end, I started asking you questions. And I was like, man... This dude's blowing me away. Like I'm 30 and I'm just now like kind of figuring out what I want to do. This dude's 17, just dropped out of high school and is doing this full time. But that's just a teaser, folks, because we're going to talk about some other stuff. So Nick, just like myself, is a, is a voluntarist or anarchist or whatever you want to call it. He's a lover of freedom. Um, so I guess, man, like so this is this is my thing is I always want to know how people got from point A to point B. So what brought you to where you are today? And, I mean, one thing, man, is that you're only 17 years old. And, like, you know, I remember when I was 17, I thought I had it figured out and I was going to go to University of Toledo and major in pharmacy because there's this major pharmacist shortage and they're like, yeah, you'll start out making $90,000 a year. And I was super motivated by money. And that's what I did. And I went to school and I hated it. And I got all these student loans that I'm still paying off and never even finished school. And I probably have enough credits for about three degrees. And you are already doing what you want to do. And I think that's awesome. So how, I mean, so what, what was it that... Um, made you kind of get interested in it because what you're doing too is really cool and i talked to jack spearco about it on our podcast is that you know non-traditional farming i think is kind of an answer because you know to combat industrial farming um you know just the the normal pigs chickens and cows i don't think is going to cut it and i think that's the problem to where we are because we only focused on a few different animals instead of kind of embracing all the animals that we can eat and husband and or taking an animal husbandry. So I guess to get to where you're at Yak Farm, we might be skipping forward, but when you were in, in middle school, you know, and you're writing these papers, like what do you want to be when you grew up? Was it I want to be a yak farmer? Uh no, no, it wasn't. I would I for a while I wanted to uh, I wanted to run a hotel. Cause when I was a kid, I thought hotels were the coolest thing. So I wanted to have my own. And then eventually I decided, well, I don't know. That doesn't sound that great. Like I started getting into uh, things like politics. I started arguing with people. I became a little smart ass. And uh, people told me, hey, Nick, you should be a lawyer. You know, they make that joke all the time. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, ah, yeah, I should be a lawyer. 
And uh, I kept going at it. And I thought, well, yeah, I should go to law school. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I was very cocky. I still am. And I figured, yeah, I could probably get into one of these Ivy League law schools and, and make it big, maybe become a politician someday because I was always into politics. And uh, yeah, so that's what I wanted to be before I got into uh, agriculture, really. So what made you become interested in politics? Because I know when I was in middle school, I mean, when did you start arguing? Was this like middle school time or when was this like maybe your freshman year of high school or was this a couple of years ago, I guess? Or No, I think it started uh, right about when I hit puberty um, in like sixth <laughs> grade. So I, I I don't know exactly where it came from, but my uh, my grandfather and and his brother my great uncle and my dad would sit around in the the living room and and uh, my great uncle and my grandpa would have a few beers my dad doesn't drink beer but uh they'd sit around they'd talk about politics and i'd like to listen to them and eventually i started you know picking up on i was like hey i i can think for myself i can hold my own with these guys so you know i'd jump in there and i'd, I'd try and say something i might get shot down they might like it you know but uh, uh that's I, that's kind of the earliest i remember getting into it so, so um, your your parents aren't really big into politics, but your dad and your your grandpa and uncle were. Uh, yeah, I would say my mom's not really into politics. My my dad, uh, to a degree, is. He's who I got uh, introduced to libertarianism through, and uh, my yeah, my grandfather and my great uncle are, are are really into uh, talking about politics, hitting the. They'll even wax philosophy with me sometimes too. So what's so that's, what what is their uh, political affiliation? Are they libertarians as well? Well, so when I started out as a kid, you know, they were they were pretty heavily right wing. I'd say Tea Party kind of guys. And uh, my dad is was definitely more liberal than they were. He probably lined uh, more close to the Libertarian Party rather than the Tea Party. And uh, I event so I, I picked that up. I was I I kind of had this right wing background for a while and then when I came into libertarianism um, I did it because I wanted to have a middle ground I didn't want to piss people off I decided oh, I'll just say I'm a libertarian I won't have to choose McCain or Obama or whatever but so I, I you know got into it and eventually I just kept researching it kept getting into it more and more you know I got to uh, anarchism and, and really extreme libertarianism and uh, since then I've I've actually pushed my grandfather and my great uncle and I'm I'm working on my dad. I can't really tell. He doesn't like to say what what he believes, but uh, he's he, told me who he's voting for, and I'm, it's gross. But I've actually I think I've gotten my grandfather at least to admit he's an anarchist. Yeah, I think my grandfather like it was weird. Like I I didn't know my mom was like a hardcore Democrat, and um, all my family in Kentucky were they were all Republican. Like I'm from so for my background, like I'm all Appalachian. Like hillbilly white is what i like to say <laughs> and um i guess appalachian is the correct political correctness term but um you're on the west coast so you're in a more traditional i guess it's it's a liberal area but i think even the conservatives are more liberal than what it would be here in the midwest where i think our liberals are more conservative if that makes sense so uh it it it's just because I feel like the there's there it's it's a different kind of environment, but there's still like the hardcore, you know. We it's a big union area for me, and I think in in the West Coast it's it's really not at all where you're at in Oregon. So what what is that mm -hmm. typical demographic like for you in Oregon? Is it like a farm country, or is it is it mainly 
you know, it's, I know you're close to a university from our previous conversation, but I guess if you would like to expand on that demographic. Sure. Yeah. I, so I live out in, um, I live in the Willamette Valley. I live on the West side of Oregon, which is the liberal side, but, uh, most of the counties are red, like you see in pretty much every state. Um, and it's usually the, the, the liberals really central are, are, you know, centralized around Portland and Eugene and, uh, probably Corvallis is probably the third one up there. Uh, in those, those cities I'm, I'm near Corvallis and, uh, you do see here in the in the Willamette Valley and in the coast, there are a lot more liberals than when you would find in the in the east and the high desert and in the crappy part of Oregon. That's what I would say. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's it's dry and it's it's not that great. But uh, no, yeah, it it mixes quite a bit. You know where I am. I'm in a rural rural county, pretty much. Um, I'm out in the in the the sticks, kind of, and uh, people are pretty uh, conservative around where I am um, in the rural the area. Yeah, but, you know, there, there's definitely a mix. Yeah, that makes sense. And and the reason why I'm bringing this up is just because I think it's phenomenal that, you know, you're 17 and doing what you're doing. And so, you know, it's it's for me, I, I want listeners to know kind of what your environment is growing up. You think your dad's more inter- libertarian. All that fun stuff. But your dad, also, for people to know, is the high school principal. And is there only one high school where your where your town is? Yeah, well, I don't really live in a town, but we have <laughs> we have a little uh, <laughs> I guess it's a, we call it Kings Valley. It doesn't have a post office, so it's technically not technically not a town, but you know, it's got a population of like four, maybe maybe five hundred in like the given ten mile radius, maybe. And, so it's, uh, there's enough people, but it's yeah. not a whole lot. And then your graduating class, if you would have stayed in school, how many kids would you have graduated with? Um, assuming everybody stayed, a lot of the time uh, kids leave and go to a different school because we have a very small school. Um, okay, yeah, Kings Valley Charter School, the class of what would it be, 2018? Yeah. Would have been, I think, 14, including myself. So wait a minute. So you were going to graduate in 2018 or 2016? 2018. I would have been a junior this year. Oh shit! So you dropped. Wow. So you left high school way earlier than I thought. Okay, never mind. Yeah. So okay. So the class of 2018 would have been 22 kids. 14. 20. 14 kids. Yeah. Okay. And your dad is. I think so. And your dad is the principal of this small school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually was one of the main people who uh, who restarted the Kings Valley School and oh. made it a charter school. So your dad is like a so he's like kind of a believer. It, I, I don't know if I would say believer, but like I guess he's probably for reformed education since he's libertarian. But like he's for. I mean, I'm sure when when he had you, he's like, man, my kid's gonna grow up and go to college someday. For sure. Yeah they they had my savings account. Okay. For college. <laughs> okay. Okay. So just because I want to kind of establish all this stuff because your your situation yeah, sure. is like really fascinating. So, okay. So, so to, to go back to it, you know, you're listening to your dad, your, your uncle and grandpa get drunk and did, were they on the same page of politics? Were they just bullshitting, hating on the things they didn't like or were they disagree on certain things? And then, you know, you, you come in, you're, you're younger, you're like, you're in puberty, you're maybe 12 years old, and you're like, you know what, I can 
you know, you start paying attention, then you get older, you're like, you know what, I can start, I can think for myself. I don't, I don't have to copy what these guys are, which is pretty incredible because like there's even grown ass adults that just do what their dads told them to do that are males. Like, well, my dad said, you know, uh, Newt Gingrich is, is a great candidate, so I'm going to be a great candidate. <laughs> I love the Tea Party and, you know, we're in a God fearing nation and all this other stuff, but you, you don't fall into that trap. So you're, you instead elect that I'm going to educate myself. And what, so what did you do to educate yourself? Like, what, did, what was your first step? You know, you're like, you know what, I want to, I want to talk with these guys and I'm going to, I'm going to hold my own ground. So how did you go about doing this? Yeah, well, so you, you kind of asked a, a little question there in the beginning. Like, what were they talking about? Did they disagree? And uh, my dad's really good at playing devil's advocate. And uh, so he, he would definitely, you know, he'd throw out and say, no, no, you're totally wrong. Uh, talking to my dad or his dad. And uh, they'd argue a little bit. You know, it was always, you know, civil. They never yelled or anything. But uh, I, that's kind of probably, I, I don't really remember, but that's probably where I got some of it from. It was like watching him disagree. It's like, oh, okay, I can disagree too. Yeah. And uh, I guess I was just, and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of stubborn and I was kind of born that way, right? I think that that's just kind of the way I've always been. It's like, no, nah, I'm going to do what I want to a degree, right? Uh, I don't remember most of uh, my childhood, but they tell me that I was, I was in the timeout chair a lot. So I guess I started out with that kind of mindset, and uh, I don't know exactly when I started researching stuff like on the internet. I didn't ha- I didn't really use the internet when I was that age, um, but I know I started writing a blog at some point, and I had just my weird ideas that I, that I took from my grand my grandfather and and probably like twisted him a little bit. It's like ah, that doesn't make sense. I'm gonna work this through. And, you know, I just throw them out there, and I and I sometimes I'd get somebody that that would like get hooked into the to whatever I was writing, and they'd argue with me, and then I'd be able to perfect it through there. So I I, I don't exactly remember how you know I got into doing it, get into working with my uh, own ideas, and then trying to make them fit and make sense. But I I'm sure my dad argued with me a lot, and I just kind of tried things, and eventually through trial and error. Trial and error. I got to somewhere. I was like, okay, this is this makes sense. I'm winning arguments now. Let's use this. Yeah, or you're just intelligently defending yourself, right? No, no I was kind of. You're like, no, I, I was fucking like, winning, man. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt at that time. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Okay, so so you get there. So what? So what did you? I guess like so. When did you? Um, so you start to educate yourself, and was it through educating yourself that you're like, you know. I'm going to lean toward more towards libertarian because, you know, I kind of like what my grandpa and uncle are saying, but my dad makes these great points whenever he says, no, you're wrong for this, and they can't really defend themselves. Was that, so was it like, first I'm going to go to libertarianism, and then from there it went to anarchism? Yeah, yeah, so I started out, yeah, like I said, I, I started, I called myself a libertarian during like the 2008 election, I think it was. Because uh, I didn't want to pick a side between the Republicans and Democrats, like oh Obama or McCain. It's like I don't want to split my little friend group. So were you like um, a Ron Paul fan, or were you more like I like Bob Barr? Uh, Bob Barr. Okay, that's what I was saying. Because my dad's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to vote for Bob Barr, and I was like, okay, I'm using that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm going to do that. Okay. And so, um, yeah, from there I started getting into more of it. You know, I started writing my essays. Uh, I think. And how old were you at this time? 
14. I don't know. Not in 2008. I don't know how old I was. I was 10 in 2008. So 2008. And when did you start writing your book? That's not right. Yeah, no, it says that is right. That's no, right. Yeah, okay. 2008. <laughs> yeah, you would have been 10. Probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll just, yeah, we'll just go at 10. So, okay. So when did you start? Um, uh, okay. So when did you start? When did you start writing this blog? Um, I remember the earliest, I, I don't know how long I've been writing, but when I started doing politics, I'm pretty sure I was the, like the first political thing I ever wrote was a critique of Mitt Romney. Good old Mitt. So, yeah, would that be 2012 then? 2012, yeah. So you write a critique of Mitt Romney, and then now how did you get your blog out there? What did you do? Did you just post it to Facebook? Did you go Reddit and say, hey, I wrote this blog about mittens? What do you guys think? <laughs> uh, my dad set me up uh, with this. It was like a school assignment, actually, maybe. It was okay. a Edu Blogs blog. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's not that great. Um, but you still, but that's where I well, started writing. But here's the thing, though. So you could say it's not that great, but it, it served its purpose to the fact that um, it, it actually had one reader that was like, you're fucking oh, wrong and wanted to argue with you. And your but so your dad has kind of helped guide you through this process. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome. Um, so okay, so so your dad gets you to start writing this blog. You do that. You're about fourteen, and then what happens next? So what happens? So you you want to be? Do you still want to be a lawyer at this point? Yeah, yeah. I kept wanting to be a lawyer um, probably until my I think yeah it was freshman year, um, but I. You know, I kept looking into libertarianism. I kept uh, looking around. Eventually, I just decided, well, hey, you know what? I need to be informed on these issues. Like, I don't like what the uh, the mainstream media is putting out. I don't like Fox News. I, I tried listening to MSNBC and stuff. I just didn't like it. I was like, I can tell these guys are uh, BSing me. This is this is not what I want to hear. Like, or maybe they're maybe they're right about some things, but I don't care about that. I want to I wanted some better issues. Like, I want to hit the drug war. I want to hit. Uh, Healthcare issues. Like I want to hear about that. I guess they probably did talk about healthcare issues. Healthcare issues, but you know, I we wanted to focus on some more fundamental uh, things. So I kept breaking it down. Like, uh, where is the where where do we need to start building a system? So I got down to okay, we need to work in local politics and blah blah blah. But, you know, I, I went into the the minarchy sort of phase there. I got pretty close to anarchism. I was like, okay, we need to break it down. The federal government should only do the things it's supposed to do in the Constitution. And then I kind of got to the point. Well, maybe not even that. Let's break it down. Whatever the people, free market can't do, let's do. Let's have the county governments do it. If they can't, if the county governments can't do something, make it the states. And if the state can't do it, make it the feds. So eventually, I got to that point, and I started listening uh, to. I think it was Oregon Public Broadcasting as part of. Um, what is that? The is that NPR? Yeah, yeah, it's part of NPR, and uh, I started listening to that, and I was like, okay, this is all right, but this isn't like I, I still don't like it. So I finally decided on my like tune-in app, I looked up freedom or maybe liberty or something, and I found the Freedom Fiends uh, and, and the Liberty Radio Network along with Free Talk Live. And uh, so I, I started listening to the Freedom Fiends mainly. I listened to Free Talk Live every once in a while, but it was the Freedom Fiends that really kind of pushed me. That was, that was the first time I'd ever heard somebody say, I'm an anarchist. And I was like, come on, Really? Uh, what, what do you want? What you, burning you trash about? cans? Yeah, you want riots in the street. <laughs> and so I, I kind of realized, okay, these guys aren't 
you know, they're not out there inciting violence, right? These guys are all right. And I can use their arguments against government in general, against the federal government. So I have that little bit of hypocrisy there. It's like what <laughs> completely inconsistent. How could I use their arguments against uh, the Fed when I'm not using it against what I believe in? So eventually I realized that and I was like, ah, crap, I'm an anarchist. And so that happened when I was like, I think I was about 14, maybe 15 at that point. 14, yeah, I was 14. That was right after 2008, actually. No, I mean, that was... 2012, I mean. So that was about, yeah, 2013, I kind of realized that I was an anarchist. So that was eighth grade. Yeah, about the same time. And I was, uh, I was 28 or 27. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> way ahead of me. So, okay, so you realize you're an anarchist and you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of feeling free. You're in eighth grade. You still want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you still want to be a lawyer. And then what happens to where you start paying attention to agriculture? So I actually had been in uh, 4-H for a little while at that point. I started uh, raising lambs for 4-H when I was in fourth grade. And so what's, what's 4-H? Uh, four, oh, how do I explain? I don't know exactly. <laughs> but it's a, I think it's a government organization. Is it, but, is uh, it through the schools? Is that something that's like a part of no, your school? No, it's through the county. Okay, so it's like a county program that's designed to to encourage youth to be a part of agriculture. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing that for a while, and I I'd, I'd enjoyed it um, to a, a pretty good degree. I I liked working with animals a bit. I didn't. I don't like sheep. Sheep are the worst animals and the stupidest animals in the world. So, but you. So that was your first project that was working with sheep. Yeah. Okay. And so I did that for a while, and, so, and I was so, doing that in eighth grade. So what were you doing with the sheep? Were these your sheep, or were they somebody else's sheep? Like, How did this work? Uh, I would buy show lambs. Uh, I think I went out to uh, a decent breeder, and I'd, I'd buy these. Me, my sister would do this, and my cousin. You know, we'd all buy uh, our own lamb, and then we'd raise it um, after it had been weaned. So how much is it to buy a show lamb? And what's the difference between a show lamb and a lamb that you just have that eats your grass and eats poison ivy? Does do lamb eat? <laughs> do sheep eat poison ivy like goats do? I don't know. I, I yeah, I have no idea. Okay. I don't think they're much browsers, but they could be. I don't know. So okay. Well, anyway, so so okay, so sheep. Because I'm I'm still learning a lot about animal husbandry myself. <laughs> uh, so okay, so so what's the difference between a show lamb and just something that you have to graze and eat grass and poop it out and give back to the soil. <laughs> so I, I guess the main thing would be the uh, structure and the genetics of it. So you can pick out a random uh, lamb from some random sheep herd and it's not going to probably be very pretty. You know how like there, there are certain standards to uh, an animal that you want to look for, a straight back, a long loin. Uh, you want it to be square. You don't want it to be weird looking I guess and so you want to have it the right height and, and you want to have the right muscle uh, building so there's I think most show lambs are hamster Suffolk crosses and uh, this because those are good uh, meat animals so that was that was what it was for it was a meat show market okay. lamb so most show lambs are actually the best to eat yeah okay so other lambs do they it's just not taste as good or they just don't have, they don't they don't yield as much food yeah, they don't yield as much, is what I would say. And 
and with the work that you put into a show, Lamb, and the and the special feeds that you put into it, it's likely the meat is going to be marbled nicer, and it's going to be a really toned animal. So it's going to be very uh, good tasting meat, I guess. Uh, but I mean, you can argue that grass fed lamb is better, uh, but by industry standards. They're gonna pick the show lamb okay, over a grass fed one. So a show lamb isn't grass fed. Not, I mean, yeah, no, it, you would not win a competition if it was grass fed. Okay, so so okay, so so this is fascinating. So there's competitions, and I know about this just because, like, Ohio is a huge agriculture state. Mm-hmm. I never, I always thought, like, oh, look at the stupid hicks doing their stupid things, and that <laughs> was me living in the suburbs, growing up, and as an idiot. So, okay, so you go to these, like, you go to the county fair, right? So this is part of the program. It's basically you raise a show land for the county fair. Now, it's, so what do you feed it then if you don't, like, let it just graze? Uh, it's a mixture of, uh, some sort of mixture of grain. Um, some of it might be corn, oats, and barley, and a lot of it's molasses mixed with something. But there are special show chow. I think we pretty much use Purina uh, grower show lamb chow okay so the lamb it's not but the lamb is still healthy i mean it it, so it's not really good meat for you no yeah i wouldn't say that they are yeah they they're healthier than if you had just like pumped grain into them because we walked them and we trained and we built their muscle but i would not say that they were healthy but it's not out grazing and just being a lamb it's not a lamb being a lamb like no would say let right. let the lambness get in the lambs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he says about chickens. So I guess that's what he would say. Okay, so that's super fascinating because that's that's stuff I don't know, um, and I and I don't think most of my listeners know. So okay, so you're you're doing this like 4-H, and you raise a lamb. Did you win the show or what happened? How did your lamb place? I've uh... Some lambs are better than others. The closest I've come was I got second place in my class. So there's different classes, right? And then I, I got into the final round, but I didn't cut it there with the lamb. So, okay, so you took second in your class, but you didn't place overall. Yeah. And then, okay, so how many lambs did you raise doing this program? Um, ooh, at least four. Okay. Maybe five. Okay. So you had some experience with as animal husbandry and like the mm-hmm. very kind of standard kind of removed from I mean it's definitely removed from factory raised but it's still kind of part of that realm I I'm guessing cuz you're yeah you're not letting the animal be the animal it's it's definitely far removed from the you know permaculture or pastured style um but it's you know it's 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 definitely better um okay so so talking about that, okay, so we we have that established. Now, okay, so you do this for a while. You hate sheep because you've, <laughs> you've raised them. You think they're stupid. They're annoying. It's not, it's not your cup of tea. And then what happens? So your dad and you are, are out and about. And how do, you, how, how do you go to, you know what? I want to get in this niche market or niche market, however people like to say, <laughs> of yaks. Because a lot of people don't, like when I asked you, I don't even know. I think the only thing I know about a yak is from a Ren and Stimpy cartoon. 
and it was a stupid cartoon. Anybody that watched Ren Stimpy, and they had this song making fun of Canadians about yaks, and that and that seriously <laughs> was my experience of yaks. Because when we talked about, it, I was like, "Aren't yaks bigger than cow?" And you said, "Absolutely not." So how do you so how do you go from okay, I'm raising these sheep, doing these competitions to this isn't really healthy. How do you start to really pay attention to 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 sustainable ag? Okay, yeah. So the final year that I did for H and, and uh, yeah, it was the final year I did for H for H. I and this is about when I started disliking school. Um, I started raising a steer for four H. Instead, I switched over to cattle, and uh, that was much more profitable and it was much more uh, enjoyable. Uh, so I was like, okay, that, that was so. I was having a lot of stress related to school. This is a, a very, I, I was, I, I've always done well in school, and this was a very challenging school. So it was, uh, it was a decent challenge, but I didn't like it. I was, I was just stressed out. I was doing too much. I was doing basketball. I was doing 4-H. I was had AP classes that I had to do homework in. So I was getting really pissed off, and I was getting really uh, stressed out. And I decided, well, dude, school is my problem. I can't stand it. And somewhere in there, I probably picked up school sucks, and yeah. uh, just decided, okay, this is this is not what I want to do. I don't want to go to a college because that's going to be, uh, especially law school, right? That's another seven years on top of high school. I was like, I can't do that. I and, and uh, you know there was probably some issues with depression in there. I was like, I I don't believe in myself. I can't do that. I need a better way out. And I uh, started looking like, okay, what do I enjoy doing other than school? And I thought, okay. Agriculture is pretty fun. And uh, I had worked on a few other farms, of, or an organic blueberry farm. I think it was actually biodynamic. Um, and how did, you, how, did you, how did you get to working on that? And I actually forgot to mention real quick, not to interrupt your story, but I'm going to. <laughs> sure. How did you, so what did you, so okay, because I didn't mention what did you do with the sheep afterward? Did you eat it or did you sell it? What did you do? Sell it, yeah, the 4-H auction we had. So, so there would be uh, companies like, uh, I don't know, maybe people probably don't know many of the companies that were there. They're a local so, uh, company. So, but that's kind of cool. So so the county actually has something set up, and they they have programs to teach kids animal husbandry, even though it's it's not necessarily the agriculture practices that we agree with today, the two of us. However, it's removed from, from animal prisons and... Like the way it, it's removed from factory farming, and then you actually get to, to buy and sell it at a local to a local meat distributor, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I mean, not a distributor, but you know, it was mostly a charity thing. Like, you would never be able to sell a lamb for that much. Like, I was $800 off a lamb, never be able to do that unless it was a 4H auction. And did you make that money, or what did you do with that money? Yeah, I made, um, did I get, didn't make eight hundred dollars in profit, but yeah, I probably made about six hundred dollars at the most on a on a lamb. Okay, so you would buy a lamb as a baby for how much? Like three fifty at the most. Three fifty, and then you could take it, and if you raised it well enough, you you could it would be you know basically your skills with with raising this animals you're going to get a return on. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty awesome. So. Okay, so anyways, getting back to it, you're you work at a blueberry farm. So how did you get the job at the, the biodynamic farm? So it's a local farm. Uh, it's Goodfoot Farms. Beth Hoynacki. I've talked about her on my show. She's helped me out a lot. But anyway, I uh, 
she offered this job to local kids. Like so, she she wanted to you know provide some. She wanted some cheap labor, <laughs> and she and she figured, okay, I'm going to give some kids these jobs because that's you know picking blueberries is not something you need a lot of skill for. But anyway, somebody told me they were doing it. One of my buddies. And so I was like, wow, I ought to do it. My dad, actually, Beth Hoynacki, would, would actually worked with setting up the school as well. So uh, my dad knew her. So I had a contact. So I got in there. I, I picked blueberries for a while. made a dollar a pound. And uh, that's kind of how, that was probably my, that, that was my first farmhand job. And then later on, I actually got to work in the field with her. I guess she, she liked my performance. And uh, I impressed her. So I got, I guess, promoted in a way. At least at at some point, I don't know when. So, what's the difference between picking blueberries and working in the field? So she had other things other than uh, blueberries. She had garlic and onions and and lettuce. So I would do some of the picking the garlic and the picking the onions and um, maybe doing a little bit of weeding or mowing if she needed it. That's very cool. So she's got like a nice little polyculture um, biodynamic farm going on. And mm-hmm. so so okay, so the four H or the 4-H program, you do you raise lamb for either four or five years, and you're working on this farm that kind of really kind of introduces you to a different way of farming, especially because it's you know it's not traditional farming, it's not subsidized farming. So, what makes you decide steer? Was it the dollar amount? Was it you know it's a, it looks more challenging? What what was kind of that made you go in that direction? Yeah, it was both those. It's I want to make considerable more amount of money. Um, it's a little bit different. There's it's it, it, it was more of a challenge. I, I hated sheep, and I was like, okay, this will this is probably a better option. This would be fun. I get to do it with my cousins, and uh, so I got that's that's why I did it. I think. Okay, and then so what is the dollar amount difference? Because I think that's interesting. So what what is the percentage that you would make? On, I mean, is it just kind of, it costs a little bit more, but you make a lot more? Is it a similar percentage, just a bigger investment, or how does that work? Yeah, so I guess the most I ever made on a sheep was probably like 900 bucks was how much uh, the person bought it for. That's not including my expenses. And then the most I ever sold a steer for, well, it was the only steer, I guess, yeah. The most I sold the steer for was 3500 So there's a big difference there. And you put like four hundred dollars into a lamb, and then you put like, oh, maybe two thousand. I think I put eighteen hundred into my steer. So you know you make four or five hundred back on a lamb, and then you make fifteen hundred back on a on a steer. Okay, and then was it the steer the same thing? It wasn't grass fed. It was more of a show steer. Or... Yeah. Okay. Um, so okay, so you do the steer. You make how many steers did you raise? Just the one. Yeah, just the one. Okay, so then what brings you to Yak? So as I was raising that steer and I, I decided I didn't like school, I needed to get out. I looked at agriculture. Uh, I wanted to get into organic agriculture because you know, I, I was introduced to that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't like the, orga- the, the, some of the farming practices. I didn't really like the way we were raising the steer, but I had to do it because it was 4-H and I was going to make money. But so I decided, okay, organic agriculture, what am I going to raise? I like animals. I got to raise something. And so I thought, well, cattle, everybody does that. That's not cool. I need to do something different because my family has raised cattle in the past. My, my cousins do it uh, and still do it. But I don't remember how exactly I came up with yak. Um, I'd become familiar with yaks 
because of this book my mom used to read me and my sister as a kid. It was some weird old lady had a bunch of animals and they drink yak butter tea from the yak she had. So I knew about yaks and I decided somehow, somehow I decided I'm going to look into them. So I looked into them, I researched it. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to raise yaks. And uh, that's how I, I, that's all I can remember how I got into yaks. So that's pretty cool. So it's from a little kid's book, in the, and it was from yak tea. You want to make your own yak butter tea, and then you're like, all right, I'm going to do yaks. So what happens then? So you're, so are you having a conversation with your dad about, hey, dad, I know you're the principal, but I'm really tired of school. It's stressing me out. Like, how, how is that conversation going on? Because he's the head honcho at this school, and... For the principal of the school to say, "Yeah, my son dropped out." I mean, that's that's a big, that's a big social thing that your dad's gonna have to deal with. So, and I'm sure he wasn't too. Maybe he was, he was okay with it because the way you presented. But I'm sure he wasn't too fond of this idea. Was this an idea that you introduced to your dad? Like, look, I want a way out of school. Like, I want to start doing my own thing. Or how did that conversation go down? Yeah. So it started out with saying, "I I'm getting stressed out. I need to drop something." And uh, so I said, let me drop basketball. And he's like, no, just wait it out. You got a couple more months. And so I waited it out, um, stopped playing basketball. And still, I was still not happy with school. I still was like, I don't like what's going on here. This is not my thing. And I don't know how much we talked about it, but I'm sure I complained. And uh, I know towards the end of my freshman year, uh, this is when I got, uh, this is right when I started, this is, where everything kind of started in this long run of entrepreneurship and, and podcasting, I uh, I was super into the this po- all these libertarian podcasts at that point. I had just gotten my microphone from Michael Dean. I just decided I want to raise yaks. I found out where I could get them. I kind of had a plan. Like uh, I'm gonna go. Like my parents are like, uh, okay, fine, don't become a lawyer. That's cool. Uh, but you have to go to OSU and study agriculture. And I was like, fine, you know, because I had to do it. I was a kid and I couldn't tell my parents no. And that's Oregon State University. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So you cannot say oh, that's OSU right. I'm on sorry. this podcast <laughs> and not say Ohio State University, Nick Hazleton. We're in Buckeye country right now. Anyways, so Oregon State University, the Beavers, which, is, is it, which isn't too far from you, right? That's around the nah. corner from you? Yeah, I think I'm like, 30 miles out from Corvallis, okay. uh, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. And they want you to go there to learn agriculture because that's way better than real life. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's that, yeah, it's the classic idea. You got to go to college. Yeah. And so, and so they kind of had that plan. And then I, I, I know I was listening to School Sucks at that point. So I was like, well, actually, do I have to go to school? And so I started thinking about it as well. You know what? I, the only thing that's holding me back is school and then my parents they're keeping me in school so I realized that's the issue and now I need to get out I called into Free Talk Live I talked to Ian Freeman and Brett Vanon I told them hey I'm considering dropping out of school and I want to raise yaks and they're like yaks you know it's the classic thing you know like kind of what we're getting into now what's, what's a yak and uh, they say well dude go for it if you if you love doing this do it so that was kind of the the main point I remember this is what I need to do. I need to get out of school. I need to at least get rid of the work workload from the school so that I can pursue this. Uh, and actually, maybe 
Yeah, I guess this was in March, maybe. And then last March? No, two Marches ago. Okay. I guess, yeah, in 2014 it would have been. And okay. uh, that's right about when I bought my first Yaks. Okay, so so you call in, you talk to Brett and uh, Ian, and then you're like, yo, I want to do this. You're like, all right, we'll do it. If you want to do it, do it. And so how does this conversation go down with the rents of I want to buy Yaks? Yeah, so Dad and I, we kind of had this plan like, okay, I'm going to save up and then I'm going to buy some yaks. I'm going to do 4-H another year. Actually, I guess I hadn't finished 4-H then, so I was going to wait till I sold off that steer and then and, I was going to buy some. And so a question with 4-H, now, did you always pay for this? Was that, like, did your parents kind of supplement you at first and then you just used the old 4-H money to buy the new sheep and you bought the next sheep and then you bought the next sheep and then you're like, you know, I'm going to buy a steer. Like how did how did you manage those finances? Like how did you do that? Yes, I'm I th- I'm sure the first time they loaned me some money, but I always had to pay it back. Okay, and uh, so yeah, I had to I had to make sure that they got paid back. Okay, so so they lent you at first, but then you pretty much funded your own farm thing, um, the whole way through with 4-H, or was mm-hmm. it they'd lend you some money and then you'd pay it back, or did you kind of just have that project pay for itself? Uh, I had that project pay for itself, so they'd probably front the cash up. You know, I, they would when we went and bought the land. They they'd buy it for me, and then the agreement would be, okay, you have to pay us back after okay. you sell this animal. So you'd sell it. So they were the, your investor. You would yeah. use their money. You would then you would raise it. Then you'd you'd keep your profits that after you pay them back. Okay, so that makes sense. So okay, so they do it with a steer. And then, did you still have the steer when you bought the yak, or, or yeah, how, okay, so so okay, so you have the steer, and you're like, Dad, you know, I want to get this yak. I found a place to buy it. Let's go. Now, so what happened was, uh, I still had the steer. I was going to sell it in at the end of that year in July, or that that end of that July in that year, and uh, in maybe April or March. Uh, we saw that there was a an auction for yaks, yak and buffalo over in in Bend, Oregon, where it's that's the largest yak operation on the West Coast. That guy's got like a hundred head at Pine Pine Mountain Ranch. He's doing a lot. So we decide, okay, let's go there and just see what's going on. Let's go over. Let's take a trip to to Bend. That ought to be fun, and uh, see what yaks are going off for. So we get there. And uh, we're sitting there in the cold. We're watching it happen. We we sit through the buffalo. Finally, it gets to yaks, and nobody is buying yaks. There's not a market for yaks. It's too niche, right? So there's yeah. nobody buying yaks, and so they're going off like four hundred dollars a head, maybe six hundred for a bred cow. And and this is like, a big. This is a big animal. I mean, this is so you're you're paying close to a little bit more than what you'd pay for a sheep, but way less than what you pay for a steer. Yeah, yeah. This would you could easily turn this for probably regular beef prices and still make a profit. So I'm like, Dad, I don't remember who came up with the idea. It might have been like the same time Dad and I look at each other and we're like, dude, this is the time to get in to yaks. We have to do this now. And my dad's like, your mom's never going to let us do it. I'm like, come on, dude, we got to try. I was like, okay, well, my dad's like, if I call her, she's going to say no. But if you call her, maybe she'll say yes. And so I hop on the phone and I go talk to her like, okay, we're going to buy two yaks, mom. Can you let us do that? And she's like, oh my God. And you already have a steer. And we didn't say this before. We said on your podcast, but your parents 
had bought some land and you actually have some land and you've been raising animals on your land? Um, actually, so it's, yeah, my parents bought it from my grandfather. Uh, this land is, this, this whole little tiny valley we're in has been owned by my family and my ancestors for a little while and like probably over a hundred years now. But, um, so I raised the steer on my cousin's land who is just down the road. And then we had our own land, but we didn't really use it. We had our sheep pen and that was it. We didn't have the facilities to keep a steer. Okay. That makes so, sense. But we had, we had pasture. Okay. So you already have the pasture and your dad's like probably thinking because of your interest and his relationship with you, like, yeah, we got to use this land. I want this land mm-hmm. to go to use. Let's actually, let's take advantage of it. He probably likes having the sheep pen there because it's pretty cool watching his son race these sheep and sell them. Then you're like, let's do yaks. He sees the dollar signs. Then he's like, call mom. So you're talking yep. to mom and she's like, man, and what happens? And so she's, she finally agrees. I talked to her for a little while. I was like, okay, just two. You can buy two yaks. And by the time I, I got off the phone and went back, my dad had already bought two. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like, odd, oh, you know what? I, Let's let's buy a couple more. <laughs> and so we just bought a couple more and uh we didn't have the trailer to bring them back home. So but how I many, think I so you bought a total of four? Yeah, bought two yearling bulls and uh two bred cows. Okay. And it those were all together about twenty five hundred. Okay. Which is amazing. And how much would it be if you were buying typical cows? Um I don't exactly know so, the figures off the top of my head. But okay, so you bought your one steer for how much? Uh like four hundred dollars. Okay, four hundred. Okay, so it's about is it about the same cost as a steer? Oh no, the st- okay, sorry, sorry. The cattle steer, that was seven hundred. Okay. And these yeah. are similar animals, a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. And you paid roughly paid- about three hundred less. Yeah. Okay. So that's, and that's important to keep track of. So, all right, so keep going. Yeah. So we, we bought the, the, the yaks. So I talked to the guy beforehand. That's the same guy selling these at the auction. And, uh, he said that he would sell a starter herd, which is two cows and a bull, two bread cows and a bull for 6,000. And so I got it for 2,500. So that was, it was a steal. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. So we figured, okay, if, my, if, like, if we can't take care of these animals, we take them to the butcher and we sell them for meat, and that'll be fine. Yeah, that's, that's not going to be hard. Even we're going to eat it because it's still economic, economical to do that, right? Still great. So we, we went uh, home. We told my mom, oh, we bought four. She's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and so, we t- I mean, what she can do at that point. So we, we rented a trailer. We went back like two days later, picked the yaks up, after we had built a, a small electric strand fence out in our pasture, and uh, we pulled into the pasture, we let them out, and <laughs> we had we had yaks. That's awesome. And then yeah. so because now, and we can fast forward a little bit, and I didn't, and we kind of and I kind of had you drag that story out for a lot of reasons. <laughs> um, but so, how has the business evolved? Because I know now. When did you start your podcast? Did you start it shortly after? Yeah. So I. That point, I got the microphone right about the same time as the Yaks, and uh, Michael Dean said, "Make a podcast." And, who's and so Michael I knew it had Dean? to be Yak. I'm, I'm sorry, who's Michael Dean? Oh yeah, sorry. Michael Dean is the main host of the Freedom Fiends radio show and podcast. Okay. 
Awesome. So keep going. So Michael Dean, so you're networking already. So you Mm -hmm. are a young kid. You're like, I like these guys. I'm going to reach out to them because they encouraged me to. And I'm going to tell them what I'm looking at. Brett and Ian say, do it. You like Michael Dean. And he's like, you know what? You should start a podcast. Get this microphone. You got the microphone. You start recording a podcast. Yeah, so I, I got the microphone. Um, I don't know when, but it was definitely before I called into Free Talk Live because I know my audio was decent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I started, uh, I think I recorded my first episode in July of 2014. Okay, so you start your first podcast. And then how did you use... so? Because we, we talked about it on your podcast, so one thing, that, and I talk about this too, is that podcasting is the best networking tool. Not everyone's going to make money from it directly, but if you use your podcast correctly, you'll open up doors for yourself. So how has your podcast affected your yak business? Um, okay, yeah. So- or even agriculture business, because you have pigs too, and I didn't even talk about that. No, yeah, yeah, I've got pigs hogs and uh hogs, yeah <laughs> is there a difference i don't i don't know i don't, know, know. I don't know but they're cool <laughs> what kind of pigs do you have because they're awesome uh, i've seen your photos yeah they're american guinea hogs they're a really small heritage breed lard pig and they're, this is another niche animal Mm-hmm. for sure yeah so and do you think like in the future you're probably just going to stay in the niche markets because it's it's you you have that now how did you figure out customers like how did you figure out how to raise these animals for customers like it did you use your po- your podcast for that um not at first so i i bought the yaks and we kind of realized okay we i knew stuff about yaks at that point but i knew okay yaks don't really mature very fast you know it takes 2 years compared to cattle which is 1 year and compared to pigs which is like you could probably eat a pig at any time you want but it they really start getting big at 8 months so i decided okay we got to get pigs so we can bring some more revenue in cuz we we dad and i decided okay um i do want to pursue this so let's get started you know they're making me stay in school at that point but let's let's try and make this work and so we got some hogs in order to start pushing that and i didn't I, I knew some older couples in the area, so I was able to see if they wanted to buy a pig. I think I sold one actually to my dad. He was probably my first customer. And I sold it to an older, fairly wealthy couple. So they could spend the cash and and uh, they they wanted the meat. I don't know how I got in contact with them. I think I might have just called them out of the blue. Cold not, called. Yeah. And so they were interested. I sold them the pig. I, um, I got that was my first process, and I did that. The, the, it was probably a year after I got them, which so it would have been the next year. Okay, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't know. I haven't gone over this story in a while, so I don't remember it all. <laughs> so okay, um, so so you like, how did you find this couple? Were you just asking around, like, hey, I'm raising hogs. Who likes to buy good hog meat? Was that kind of it? Because, I, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, especially in Oregon. I think farm to table is pretty popular out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess, like, so so you find that. You find the niche market. Um, when So when did you, was it was it just the fact that you knew it would take yaks a while? Because now you also use your 
you you've partnered up and you watch some other person's crazy act that tries to kill you. <laughs> um, I mean, so there's there's like when was it that you guys started looking at your farm business and just saying, okay, we're not using, we're not we're not we're not cat we're not capitalizing on all the possible streams of income. Like, was it was it to do with? Um, okay, so. Uh, you know, so well, let's let's take a step back. You know, you you drop. We haven't even mentioned you dropping out of school yet. So, um, let's take a step back. So I'm grilling you with these questions here. Um, so okay, so when did you decide you got these yaks? You got these pigs? I got to start doing this full time. Um. So well, I kind of decided that this this was eventually going to be a full time thing from the very beginning. I knew this is the career path that I want. I don't like anything else. Anything else is going to involve me going to school. So I knew that agriculture was kind of my only uh, way out. And and I don't really like to share this a whole lot, but uh, to be honest, I was very depressed in that in the since probably my second semester in high school. So I was having a lot of issues with self-worth and and productivity. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. I felt like I'm kind of screwed in this. Like I don't like school. How am I possibly going to make it in the world? So I was really beating myself up a little bit, but I and there you know there was part of me that knew like this is my issue. School is my issue. I need to make it work. I have to make this work. This is going to be the thing that's going to happen. Like I'm going to get into agriculture. I'm going to raise yaks. And uh, it's going to work out. So I, you know, I, I kind of stuck to that. And uh, I, I knew from the beginning this is what I was going to do. And so it, it took a while for it to become profitable because I was still in school. I was still working on things. and I didn't have animals that were ready to butcher or slaughter. And uh, I, so I, it was, I decided I had to drop out of school or that you know that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out of school as soon as possible, in to the very end of my freshman year, and so I went into the, the summer was fantastic. I got some stuff done. I got to work with the yaks. It was really cool. I was I was decently happier. So I kind of knew okay, my issue definitely is school. Like I'm way happier outside of it. This is like you know I can't go back, but of course I had to. So um, I went to school at. So I, that was my sophomore year. I was actually able to uh, drop a math class because I've been in accelerated math since I was like in second grade. So I had all of my math credit for high school by the end of my freshman year. So I got to drop that. Um, I found a way to get extra credit through the podcast. So I was working on that. And then at the same time... Um, I was starting to work on the farm, kind of trying to figure out who am I going to sell meat to, I think. And that's when I, I'm pretty sure somebody just told me, hey, so-and-so is going to be interested probably. They have money. They have the nicest house in the neighborhood. Why don't you go look, you know, look to them? So I called them. That's who I sold the first pig to, and including my dad. So that's when it started making a little bit of money. Uh, I think that was, actually, it was the end of... 2014 when it started making money with the pigs and I had bought more pigs. I had at that time I had a herd of pigs and a herd of yaks. My yak baby, my bred cows had been they they'd given birth over the summer. So I was going into sophomore year knowing that I didn't like school. The first semester I decided 
I'm going to try at least, um, trying to get stuff done. And then I kind of found out I can't do a whole lot with the podcast at the same time as school. It was just too much. So I started, I kind of, I didn't pod fade, but I came pretty close uh, where I, I kind of made a podcast maybe once every couple months. And then at the end of that semester, I kind of realized, you know what? Screw this. I'm, I'm not going to work with these guys. My parents, they're going to make me go to school. They're, you know, they're going to make me go to college afterwards. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it. And I decided not to do 4-H that year. So I, and I didn't do basketball either. So my workload was pretty small. But then I decided, you know what? I'm going to be a delinquent. Like, screw this. I'm, I'm done. So I stopped trying in school. I started focusing more on, on the farm um, I st- occasionally, and then, so my dad kind of, I think my parents kind of realized this is, you know, this is totally a bratty kid doing what he wanted to do, but you know, uh, I'll own but up to you, that. You did civil, <laughs> it was civil disobedience. Your dad's, yeah, exactly. your dad's the principal. It's like, it's not just some dickhead principal. It's your dad. Who's actually been really supportive with your business ventures. You want to make it profitable. They can see, okay, our, our son's been depressed. Well, I just, they did. I so they didn't know at that point. I guess. Oh, they didn't. Okay. I I kept it well hidden. Okay. I don't. Okay. Yeah. So you were you were functionally depressed. You um, but you just start you start doing bad poorly in school on purpose. So how does this conversation with your parents come about to where you're like, you know what, guys, I want to drop out. Yeah. So I brought it up probably over that summer, the the summer before my sophomore year. And I was like, you know what, dad, I don't want to do this. So he started like looking at, oh, I got to keep my kid in school. I can't have him drop out of my own school. Right. So he started working with me. And that's what, that's where that extracurricular uh, or uh, getting the extra credit came from with the, it was a self-directed project. So I, I chose the podcast. I could get social studies and, and language arts credit. So hopefully that I could uh, if not graduate early, I could uh, take like one or two classes the next year because I'd have most of the credits that I needed. And I'd only be taking like a science class and maybe a few electives that I decided I wanted to take. And uh, so he pushed me that way. And uh, and all the teachers were, you know, I as soon as I started failing, they're like, crap, what is he doing? And, I, and I've always been very vocal, right? I, I let people know what I think. And uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I'm very cocky and I'm and I'm willing to to tell you you're wrong, I guess. And so I I told I, everybody knew at that point like Nick hates school, he wants to get out. And uh I don't know exactly when I really pushed that, but uh I know that that's kind of the way it went. They're like, "Well, how can we help Nick in any way we can? Let's help him jump through the hoops, but you know, in that making me jump through the hoops, I really despised it and I didn't like that. So that's when I started giving up after I got sick of doing that project because I had to do all kinds of stupid st- stuff do, counting my hours. A, you had to whatnot. do a bunch of bullshit. Um, yeah. So, so what, I mean, did you, did you say, okay, listen, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with the business and my podcast but I don't want to go to school anymore. Like, how did you, did you make a deal or were you just like, I'm not doing it and your parents finally gave in or, or how did that come about? Uh, so, um, yeah, it started out with that struggle where I decided 
I'm not going to do it. I'm either going to drop out or fail out. And that's what I told my parents, you know, like you're either not going to get good grades for me uh, or you're going to let me drop out. You're going to let me go home and stay home instead. And so they're like, well, dude, I, don't, like, I don't remember exactly what they said, but they kept me in school for a while and I kept, and they, they leaned, they, they, they relaxed a little bit and realized, okay, Nick is doing stuff. Like he has his podcast, he's doing this stuff. He's uh, raising these yaks. He's actually getting out on the farm and doing some things. We like him to do more, and we like him to prove that he can do it a little bit better. And uh, they kind of said, well, Nick, as soon as you can start really making this farm thing work, we'll let you drop out of school. And I was like, uh, and then they said, if you build your own shelter, you know, if you can live out on your own, uh, we'll let you do it. And so I took that as a challenge. I was like, okay, how can I build a tiny house? How can I get it? So I, I kind of worked through that. And then I just, well, and I started kept failing in school and so, eventually so you built your own tiny house or you still building no, it now no well i i came up with blueprints and then i since i've found a better option I, I got a trailer i have a little camp trailer that i'm fixing up right now awesome did you get it off craigslist how did you get that um actually my old pe teacher and basketball coach uh he said he said, uh, oh, because I, I talked about it in school. I was like, yeah, I'm going to build my own little tiny house. He's like, you know what, Nick? I've got an old crappy trailer. Why don't you take it? I'll give it to you for free. And, what? Uh, it's, what a bargain. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's a really shitty trailer. Uh, it's, uh, the floors are all rotted. Some of the walls are a little bit rotted and the tires are all flat. But, you know, it's still, that was an awesome deal. He made me pay five bucks for the, the ball for the hitch. And uh, I, and I drove it back home. He lives up in uh, near the school, which is about maybe ten miles away from me. So I, I, so do you I got have your it. Own truck? Uh, no, I used my parents. Okay, so you bought a hitch, put it on your parents' truck. Did your dad help you drive it back, or was it just you? Actually, uh, he would have, but I think he was at church. Okay. Uh, so I just called up my one of my buddies. I'm like, "Hey, you want to help me move a trailer?" And he's like, "Well, I'm not doing anything. Sure." So we went over to my coach's house, and and he was homesick or something from, and so he he helped us uh, uh, load it, and uh, we drove on a bunch of flat tires. But uh, I just <laughs> slowly drove it back home. So was oh the uh, trailer had flat tires or yeah? Oh, that's funny. Um, okay, so you you got this trailer. From him, but so when did you? So was it the blueprints that your parents were like, "All right, we'll we'll let you do this," or no? So I don't know exactly when I got the trailer. Well, when did you get the freedom? Of I school? got the freedom at the very end of my sophomore year. So I had uh, finally I convinced him. Okay, you know what? It, uh, actually, my dad has had been a fan of school sucks at that point. So he was starting to move towards my. You know, my viewpoint, he started understanding, okay, if Nick can self-direct his learning, let's let him do it. Like he finally gave in. It's like, okay, I'll let you do it, but you have to come up with a plan. Show me how you're going to self-educate yourself. And I was like, damn it, fine, fine, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so I, I did it uh, and I presented it to both my parents and my mom was not very happy about it, but my dad uh, was, okay, fine, I'll let you do it. Um, and, uh, he said, well, you know what, Nick, I, I believe in you. I, and I'm, I'm, you know, and I told him like, really, you're gonna let me drop out of your school. He's like, you know what? I, I think you are uh, moving in the right path. And so it was very supportive. And, uh, I, at this point I have to say, I am glad they made me do the self-education plan 
and maybe present it to him. And uh, so I did that at the end of my sophomore year. And uh, then I, so I said, okay, I'm going to finish out the school year and I'm not going to come out back uh, my junior year, which would have been uh, this last September. So when did, okay, so that makes sense. And then now is your dad helping you redo this trailer or, or I guess before we do that, how did things for you change on the farm? Uh, it changed quite a bit. So I, um, I don't know when I got in touch with Tyler Boggs, uh, but it was through the podcast. Um, he's the guy who's boarding yaks with me. He's got he's got five. the serial killer yak. Yeah, yeah, he does. So he he we first got in touch, and then we brought it on. So that's when stuff really started happening. Because I was like, okay, I'm getting excited about it. And over the summer, um, and right in June. And maybe at the end of May, at the end of the school year, Dad and I started working on a Temple Grandin uh, roundabout squeeze chute. If you guys, not, not a lot of people understand what that is. If you want to understand it, the best thing you could do is uh, look up Temple Grandin roundabout. And uh, it's, it's interesting stuff. But uh, it's, it's a chute, kind of a corral to get uh, animals into a squeeze. So we started working on that, and that was the main thing. Okay, this is how we're going to be able to milk yaks. This is how we're going to be able to get fiber from them, and this is how we're going to be able to load them. So that's when it like so okay, is, this is, is yak, business time with the yaks. Is yak far, fiber? Is that so? Yak, you can. Is that their fur? Yeah. So you so yaks are a little bit more. Um, I guess you could say. I, I'm trying to think of how to say it. So yaks can. There's you get a little bit more uses out of them than just like a. a a normal steer cow and that's yeah, you can get fur milk and meat mm -hmm. okay yeah they're versatile animals very very versatile what do you usually use out of yak fiber like what do you what is usually made out of yak fiber um pretty much everything um some of the interesting uh facts so the 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 funnest thing to say especially with the new star wars movie that came out uh chewbacca's costume that is made of a blend of yak hair and something else so that's like niche information that nobody yeah. knows so chewbacca costumes you can make from it but i mean you can make blankets from yak fur oh yeah you can make anything you can make out of wool um and, and how the, did you so how did you find buyers for was it did you just go from the same sheep people to the same sheep people that buy wool by yak fiber like what did you do to figure out who's going to get the milk? I mean, do you guys just consume the milk, or what did you, what what steps did you take to line up buyers for all the products that you can sell from Yak? So um, I have not been able to sell anything from the Yaks until I recently butchered them. Uh, butchered one this last summer. I started selling meat in October. I think that's the only time I've ever made money off them. So I have not gotten fiber or milk. Uh, off of any of the yaks, they are they are pretty much just mooching. That's still right on now. the to do list. Yes. So this spring, now that I have the facilities to catch them, uh, we'll be working with uh, getting some fiber, and hopefully, I'm going to get some. Uh, I, I need to buy a trained heifer or a trained cow so I can start milking. But um, I got lucky, and uh, at the school, 
there was a, she's a retired, I don't know what she used to do, but uh, she's a very funny lady. Her name is Lois Oland, and she uh, is like a co-owner of a wool business called Bell wool, Bellwether Wool Company. And you can find that at bellweatherwoolcompany.com, I think. And uh, so she's like, she got in touch with my dad. She's like, hey, I know your son is raising yak fiber. Uh, get me some, get me some of that, that fiber. And so we talked and she's like, I will buy all of it from you. So I'm like, well, all right, that's fantastic. And so I just, right from that, she's gonna, she's planning on buying it from me as soon as I can get it. So that's how that happened. Uh, I have not lined up anything with the dairy. I know people are interested. There are, have everybody you? wants to try it. I have, I have never tried it. Uh, I, I know people in the yak community that have tried it and they say it's really good. Um, but there are, you can't really find it for sale. So have you, especially here in the states? So you have you successfully milked your yak yet? No, I have. I have not even touched an udder yet. <laughs> they are. They are not friendly enough yet. Yeah, because the, well, you have the one that's a serial killer. And for people mm. that want to know what I'm talking about, tune <laughs> into Nick's podcast that I'm on, and I'll put a link in the show notes for. But the one, the once, uh, the one bull that he has tried to ram a truck and all this other craziness, and I'm saying they need to eat it. Because it's, but it's not his, so it's like a crazy situation there. But um, have you looked at like CSAs? Because there might, you might be able to get become a part of a CSA and see if people want to, um, or a, a co-op, or a local pantry, and see if people want to buy the milk. But if people already, it sounds like you already have customers that want to try it. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is going to be figuring out how much to sell it for, how to how to store it, and all that stuff. Yeah, that that's what it is. I I haven't looked into CSAs. My uh, dad is doing something that with for the goat herd that we have now, but uh, I'm thinking that you know I might tack on the yak milk there, because um, there's there's weird regulations with it. So that's why you need the CSA, right? Yeah. With with dairy, so I don't know yet, but so I'd have to look into that. Is all dairy? It's not just cow dairy. All dairies pretty much has the ridiculous regulations. Yeah, I don't know about yaks. I don't. So I feel I mean, like that would be a gray area be, because I think you can. Because I've had goat milk before and it was pretty delicious. Yeah, goat milk's great. So, um, so you guys have goats now too. So is your dad really getting involved <laughs> with this from the sound of it? Like, hey Nick, I was looking at goats. What do you think? Or is he just like, we're getting goats, son? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I started getting out of it, uh, my dad decided to like. He's like, you know what? I'm sick of school too. And so he's he's retiring now. He's in the process of uh, stepping back. Somebody else took his uh, kind of the main principalship role, and he's still doing some stuff kind of behind the scenes. But uh, mainly, uh, it's been him and I working on that. They uh, so he wanted to get my sister involved too a little bit, I think. Yeah. And so because I mean I, I shouldn't be mean to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because uh, I love you, Liv. Uh, but no, she's, she's probably not going to listen to this. Uh, but, you know, I got a lot of attention for the yaks. And so I, I think it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to work with Liv a little bit is what my dad was thinking. And I don't know, maybe he, I mean, he definitely likes the idea of it too. And, and Liv really enjoyed it. She, she wanted to do it. She's having fun with it. Is she younger? Um, yeah, she's two years younger than me. Well, here's the thing too, man. Like from the sound of your dad, who to me is like father of the, the year right now or her father of of Oregon for sure because I like my dad but also like because here's the thing man like 
if I'm in your dad's shoes and it's like, okay, can I continue? Should I continue being at this school that I probably don't even know why I'm here? I mean, I'm doing it to provide for my family. I'm getting close to retirement age. Should I just do this early and just start running a business with my son and try to get my daughter involved too and then just build a family business slash family homestead? Of course he's going to want to do that. Like that, that makes... I mean, that's a no-brainer. I mean, that's like that's an awesome thing to be able to do with your family. So I think that's awesome, man. And I'm sure your sister will want to get involved with it. Um, so who so it was your so the goats were like a project for your dad and your sister? Yeah, because uh well, I don't know when they got the goats. It was shortly after I got the yaks, though. Um, they bought uh like six goats. They bought a whole herd of goats. And uh they started milking like right away. And uh dad uh, new people, and he and dad knows how to read up on law, so he knew exactly what he had to do to sell the milk. And uh, so they uh, they were the first ones to kind of start making money with the farm. And uh, they started that, oh, I don't know when, but since the, the goat herd has grown quite a bit, I don't know how many they are. We just had like six, maybe maybe more kids in the last two weeks. One was born today, if you were born like two days ago, and crazy there's a lot of them now do you help out with the goats too or you mainly just do the yak and the pig uh, sometimes i help out um my sister does sports and she does ballet so i sometimes have to take over i have to i might have to take a milking uh what, what milking what is that shift a milking shift sometimes um and sometimes i have to feed them but now, uh, the goats- usually not are the goats usually are they pretty much pastured like the yak or do you guys have some feed for them as well like because goats will fucking eat anything man like I know but I know they like poison ivy and and poison oak from my understanding that's some of their favorite foods um, so I mean do you guys how do you guys feed the goats do you have goat feed or what do you, how do you guys do that yeah we uh, I don't think they're feeding grain right now they only feed grain when they're milking okay um, but they get hay and they get alfalfa and they have their minerals and then they also have access to to grass whenever they want it. But they're like you you think of goats usually being some like they're hardy animals. They go out and they eat the blackberries. Not these goats. These are really pampered dairy goats. So they don't like the rain, so they don't go out and they usually don't eat unless it's sunny. So they really haven't been raised. They're not they're still so when you got them, they're still kind of growing up too. Because I think that's it's just like humans. Like it takes it takes the animals a little bit to adjust to a new environment. And I think probably in the next few generations will probably eat more grass from the sound of it. Or they'll just always do that. So I don't know. I'm just guessing well, right now. Yeah, so they they will eat grass if we put them out on pasture and we don't really supplement their feed as much. Because we do have a few goats that we've thrown out on the pasture. Um, cause we, you know, trying to separate for breeding purposes, but also, too, and they do, saved, they do do fine on the pasture and but they, sa- they prefer the hay. It saves you money with hay. Well, hay's not that expensive. It's not, I know that feed can get expensive. I know with Joel's chickens, um, like Joel's my, my, my partner with my farm stuff. And I know with his chickens, like he's really trying hard to not feed them feed and give them food. That's not chicken feed. That's more natural mainly in the fact that it's going to save him money. So, um I think uh I think that's that's something too, but I don't like I said I don't know a ton about raising animals. So, I mean, I'm still I'm still new at this, so 
If I sound ignorant, my apologies, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a learning process for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So so you guys have a nice little goat milking. You have a goat milk business, um, which is awesome. You have the yaks. And how do the yaks taste? What was your did you have yak steak? Did you have ground yak? How's it how's it taste? Yeah, I've had burger, I've had some steaks, I've had stew. Uh, it's all really good. It's it tastes like grass fed beef. There's a little bit of a unique yak flavor i can't really put a finger on it it's not gamey it is lean uh but it's good people have always enjoyed it everybody that's uh, gotten back to me has said it's really great the only issue uh we've had so with the customer was that uh it was very lean i mean he he still enjoyed it and he said that you know it, it was just a really lean roast and he should have put a little bit more juice and not cooked it as much so that's the one issue is you can't cook it as much. So the issue but was I don't see that as an issue because it. I like my medium rare. Yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. Agree. It was kind of that. Yeah, and then um, okay, and then uh, oh man, I was gonna say something else to you. Um, okay, so you got that. So you you're you're sold. You're selling yak meat. You got the fiber lined up. So the empire is about to start taking place. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Dad and I just recently set up uh, an official company. So uh, Hazelton Farms, we've got a website and we've got a Facebook page going and uh, I'm starting to market a little bit. So it's everything starting to really uh, start going now. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, I, oh, pigs, how does your pig taste? That's what I want to ask you about. Did you, get yeah, the, any, did you get any bacon from your pig? Because something that I learned, because Joel raised pigs and he said, you can either have ribs or bacon. Yeah, so we, um, the butcher has always told me that you're not going to get bacon off these little pigs. Okay. And now other people are telling me like, no, just tell them to give you bacon. I'm like, well, so, so last time I'm like, is, am I going to get bacon off these pigs? They're saying, no, no, you're not. They're too small. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I, so I just decided, you know, I don't, I don't care that much. <laughs> I don't need to fight with my butcher. <laughs> right. How did you find so, your butcher too? I mean, that's kind of cool. I I just looked up butchers and orc. <laughs> <laughs> you were like Google man. Uh, yeah. So okay, so you butcher your pigs, and you how much do you always keep a, a good portion of your meat when you sell it to? No. So the way laws work, you're supposed to sell a live animal. So I don't take any cut off of it. I just uh, I sell all of my animals for not all of the animal, but all the pigs for two hundred dollars a piece, and then I will you know I line up who's going to buy it. And then uh, I take the pig to the butcher for them, um, and uh, I, I give them. I either have the customer call the butcher. Sometimes the butcher will call them, um, but they'll cu- they'll do the cutting instructions. They'll with the butcher. They'll handle that on their own. And then I will go back after the butcher calls me and says, "Hey, come pick up the pigs." And then I deliver it to, deliver it to the customer, and uh, I make them pay. Uh, then that's when they. They pay for the uh, animal, and then they also have to pay for the butchering fees. And then do you get your little cut of meat? or No, you don't have to share that. No. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, if I wanted to, I totally could. But Do you uh, kind of have a weird thing? Are these pi- the thing is, too, I know you really love your pigs. Have you? Has it been like a weird thing for you to eat your own animal that you raised? No, it, that uh, I got over that uh, kind of. I, I did the desensitization process through 4-H. Okay. You know, I, I cried with my first couple lambs, but after the the first two, I was like, I hate sheep. 
Yeah, take them <laughs> to the butcher. I don't care. So now I I, lo- I love my animals. I enjoy hanging out with them, but uh, it's it's no longer like a, a pet. Yeah. You know, it's not the same as a dog. It's you know I love hanging out with the pigs. I love sitting down in the field scratching with them, but uh, it's it's a different kind of relationship, I guess. That's awesome. Well, sir, this podcast went way longer than my normal ones, but I was <laughs> grilling you with questions because I think what you're doing is awesome, man. I think more people your age should should really embrace this, man. I'm, I was, it was an honor to be on your podcast, man. I'm happy you're on mine. It, Nick, if people want to stay, keep up to date with what you're going, what you have going on, listen to your podcast, contact you. What are the best ways? Yeah, so the the way you can find the podcast is the the website it's hosted on is an-yak.com. That's an-yak.com. That's where the anarcho yakitalism podcast can be found. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podomatic, and uh, the Liberty Radio Network at lrn.fm. And then uh, you can also follow me on Twitter um, at Nick Hazelton. You can like the the podcast page at Anarcho Yakalism Podcast. If you, I think it, I don't know what the URL is, but if you just look up Anarcho Yakalism, it's like it's spelled like Anarcho Capitalism, but instead it's a it's a Y A K instead of a C A P in capitalism. And uh, you can I, I some I, if you add me on Facebook and you have mutual friends, I'll add you back. I'd love it if you if you told me. You know, introduce yourself when you when you add me, just so I know who you are. But uh, you can also find the Hazelton Farm stuff at hazeltonfarm.com. That's without an S in Hazelton Farm. It's H A Z E L T O N farm.com. And then you can also find Hazelton Farms at uh, on, on Facebook at the the Facebook page. That's awesome, everybody! Check out Nick's stuff. Rate and review his podcast on iTunes. Um, that's where it really matters if you listen to it on iTunes. Uh, definitely check out Nick. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's a blast. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Drew. You're welcome, sir. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.